from HerbMentor.com. This is Herb Mentor Radio. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio and HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Phyllis Light. Phyllis is a fourth-generation herbalist and healer and has worked with herbs and in natural health for over 30 years. Her studies began in the woods of northern Alabama, and now Phyllis lectures in herb schools, universities, medical schools, hospitals, and health conferences. She is also a practitioner, consultant to business and physicians, a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild, director of herbal studies at Clayton College, and is working on a new book titled The Geography of Health, Southern Appalachian Folk Medicine, which explores the medicine that is at the heart of her personal herbal traditions. And you can visit Phyllis and learn about her herbal studies programs and and her services at phyllisdlight.com. That's P-H-Y-L-L-I-S-D-L-I-G-H-T dot com. Welcome, Phyllis. Hi. It's just wonderful to to have you on. I, it was just a pleasure to meet you at the Traditions in Western Herbalism Conference in New Mexico, and I know we didn't have much time to talk there. We kind of met towards the end there, and, and that's why I was so excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you. It was a great conference, too, by the way. Uh, Tradition in Western Herbalism Conference, I highly recommend it. Yes, likewise, and I'll be there next year. Too. Me too. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get a chance to hang out then for sure. So, anyone listening to this show who is not an HerbMentor.com member, I want to say that members often have an opportunity to ask the questions, and the questions were so good and thorough this time around that I'm pretty much using everything. Everything I ask is coming directly from our members, and usually I have to fill in the gaps. But in this case, folks were so excited to have you with us, Phyllis, um, that uh, they were just great questions. So, I want to start with. Uh, a lot of people are really curious about where you come from and your background, and you're a fourth-generation herbalist, so tell us about your family background and the land that you learned in. Sure, and it's, it's probably more than four generations. I just don't know how many generations it is, actually. There's been an herbalist in my family that we know of all the way back to the Civil War, and which is probably more than four generations. I know it's more than four generations, wow. but... Um, um, and there could have been before that. We just don't have the paper trail on it. Mm-hmm. But um, what was in the family, we weren't called herbalists. I mean, the term herbalist is quite, I think, a new term, a new vocabulary word mm-hmm. um, in this area anyway. I still people say I'm an herbalist when I'm meeting people, and they go, well, what's that? Um, because it's not really, it's a very modern word. Uh, here, uh, we were called herb doctors up until, in her herbologist, wow. up until really probably the 1990s. So there's been an herb doctor, or a me, probably the 1990s. So there's been an herb doctor, or a midwife, who were still called herb doctors in our area, um, up until, the, you know, to the Civil War that I know of. And I really kind of like the name Herb Doctor, but unfortunately the medical system has rights to that word, so we can't use it. Hmm. Can't use the word doctor. Um, um, so my training, um, my grandmother was, um, this is on my dad's side of the family, so my lineage of herbal training and herbalism comes through my paternal side of the family. Uh, my dad's uh, mother, my grandmother, uh, Rosie, uh, she was um, three-quarters Creek Indian mm. and um, about a quarter Cherokee. And then on my mom's side, and then there was a little Scots-Irish and Jewish and Korean and this bit and that bit thrown in, you know, there, here, and there. And on my mom's side, um, my mom is uh, was Scots-Irish and Cherokee on her side of the family. Um, so... What I received initially was a very Native American approach to herbalism, and it's Native American slash Appalachian because at this point in time, of when my grandmother was growing up even, and when she was learning, um, you know, the, the white folks had been, or the dominant culture had been in the area so long that a lot of the customs... You didn't know whose custom it was. You know, mm-hmm. everything had just became so mingled. And also the African 
influence into Southern Appalachian folk medicine is very dominant too in my area. Not as dominant up in the Smoky Mountains, but I'm in the foothills of the Smoky. And um, right probably an hour south of me in Alabama, we come into the coastal plains where all the plantations were. And so, you know, this was a heavy um, African-American population and still is. So I'm kind of like in the area where the Southern Appalachians met the the um, deep south and so it's just this combination of influences so you, you really you know at this point in time don't know where one left off and the other began because they've so become intermingled and now they just are the culture um, is the the southern culture um, so my training initially was pretty much along Native American lines um, but maybe not using all Native American herbs. You know, I certainly learned about chickweed and cleavers, mm-hmm. which are naturalized plants. But I also learned about sweet gum and black walnut and, you know, native plants too. Um, but uh, I guess my training was a little bit different from um, a lot of other herbalist training because it was all oral tradition. And um, I started when I was 10 studying with my grandmother and grandfather, and um, it was all, you know, oral. It was all teaching. It was all doing, and it was all walking through the woods, and this is what you use this for, and this is how you prepare this. But I had to study uh, ginseng for seven years. Wow. Yeah, which is a long time. It seems like even longer when you're a kid. Oh, God, seven years. Um, You know, it's like waiting for Christmas to come. You know, when you're little, it just seems to take forever. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I was first told I would need to study that plant for seven years, I thought, boy, I'll be like old and really old by the time. (laughs) Who, who, Who told you you needed to do that? Like, how was that involved in the training? Like, what was that mentoring like? What was the intention behind You know, was there a system in the mentoring? Sure. You know what I mean? Um. You know, my uh, my grandparents were my um, were simplers, and uh, it was understanding and knowing how to use a few herbs really, really well, and knowing every single thing they could do, as opposed to knowing 150 herbs and knowing only one thing they do. Oh, like I hear that now as often as a way to people talk about that and a way to learn about to keep it simple for people. But I never really realized that that was a tradition. Simply. That is a tradition. Oh. Absolutely, that is the Native American tradition. Uh, it was much more important to know how to use five or six herbs. I, I'm not sure my grandmother ever used over like seven or eight herbs um, in her whole life of, of doing that. Uh, my dad only ever used ginseng, and he used it for everything, but he knew how to use it. I mean, he knew how to cook it for a cold, how to take it for vitality, how to use, you know, he just used it for everything. And um, when I've told this story before, but it, it's just really true, when um, he got in his 60s, my Uncle BJ, his brother, moved to Florida and sent him a gallon of aloe vera juice, mm-hmm. which was like the only other herb he ever used. So, and he thought, well, you know, this aloe vera does exactly the things that ginseng can't do. What what do you need anything else for? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, like, it was like, Phyllis, you have to spend all this time with ginseng. What would would he have you do? Oh, I carried it around. I had to learn how to dig it. I mean, I still have uh, in my medicine bag, the first ginseng root I ever dug when I was like 17, or that I dug by myself, not with the family. Uh, you know, because they made their money every year was to go out and gather the herbs that they did was to go out and gather the herbs that they then dried and then, then sold to uh, herb companies for their cash money. Right? So, um, you know, it was... Um, learn how to identify it in any stage of its life. Um, you know, we dug it and we, we broke off 
um, the main root and put the the little leg and the in the stems leaves back in the ground and rebury that. Um, how to to be go, good uh, stewards of the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, I sleep with it by my bed. I still sleep with it by my bed in my medicine bag, kind of hanging hanging off my headboard. Um, but I had to to sleep with it by my bed. I had to to drink tea out of you know at least two or three times a week. I had to have a little ginseng. Um, had to learn how to to eat it raw and when was appropriate. So. It just became me like, uh, I, you know, the, I think the, the more modern term would be your ally. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's your plant ally. Um, so I can certainly see that concept from, from my studies, but it was really kind of the teaching of how do you know everything a plant can do if you don't spend time with it mm-hmm. and if you don't spend a lot of time with it. I mean, just because you often own have a cup of Yara tea uh, and you use it to stop bleeding. Oh, and yeah, somebody else said it's good for fibroids and oh, well, maybe it can decongest the liver, but how do you know that unless you spend time with it? And how do you know, I mean, really know every single thing that Yara can do unless you spend two or three years understanding what it can do? Do you find it has to get to the point where it has to literally come into your dreams because you're around it so much? Oh, it definitely does that. Definitely comes into your dreams, comes into your waking life, and then it becomes like the gateway into all the other plants. Um, and ginseng here is the king of all plants. So if if ginseng is your ally, all the rest of them have to like mind mind the the king and open their doors for you. You know. So wow. there was that. There was that concept, too, that if you could master ginseng, then you've, you've mastered all the herbs. Wow. It's king of the forest. Now, now, is that something you were first told about and then later experienced and went like, aha, when you were older and like it dawned on you one day, like that silly thing your grandparents told you about? In a way, but, you know, when I was little, it was something I absolutely believed wholehearted. Right. I had no doubt because my, you know, I thought my grandparents were just like God and Santa Claus oh, and wow. fairies <laughs> rolled in together. You know how we think <laughs> of our grandparents. <laughs> you know, they're the most amazing people in the world, so I absolutely believed them. And uh, when I became um young adult in my, say, you know, late teens, early 20s, I was like, oh, God, that was a fairy tale blah, 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 I'm going to go off and do sex, drugs, and rock and roll, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. those, that sort of time period in our life. But then, you know, when I put that aside and came back to the herbs, it was like, boy, did they know what they were talking about. You know, no doubt at all. Wow. They know what they were talking about. Wow. And, and um, some people are asking about, since we're talking about this, is um, probably fits in here, they were you know when they when they hear oh you know you you know you have a, a connection with um native american uses of verbs a lot of things people often immediately think about are like spiritual aspects and is this what you mean by that or is this what you would mean by that you know what i mean like uh, cuz i find that sometimes it always seems like oh this like oh it's a native american spiritual use of the but really often are really just grounded and really you know, practical and real things that come from experience of, of being around a plant a lot. Well, that, that's, that's absolutely what it is, and using a plant because it was necessary or because there wasn't any other plant around. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to remember in the time period, like, like my grandmother was taught by her m- mother and her grandmother, who had, you know, who had been basically been taught back during the Civil War days. Mm-hmm. So you used what you had, and did you? How many plants could you store mm-hmm. uh, if you were poor and didn't have, you know, in your you lived in a cabin and the floor was dirt, mm-hmm. and you used glass jars or whatever, you know, and the critters came in and and lived in the house with you, um, and the bugs and the and the mice and everything. It was a, just a different world that my grandmother uh, grew up in here in Alabama than what we would even consider. It's a different world my mother grew up in. You know, my mother lived in a a log cabin with dirt floors and no glass in the window and, 
you know, it was just a different world. So you used what you had, and you made use of everything you had. Nothing was wasted, and including the plants. And if you you might, we might, we don't even think about this concept today because what do we do? We run down to the health food store or we order off the Internet if we don't have it. Mm-hmm. But they were in the position of, well, the ideal herb might be, I don't know, let's say something like um, sweet gum. Mm-hmm. I need some green sweet gum balls, which would be perfect for whooping cough. But you know what? It's the fall. There's no green sweet gum balls. What am I going to use instead? So a lot of it was making use, knowing your plants and making use of what you had because it was not an easy task to be gathering massive amount of herbs for use because you had to spend most of your time gathering food to eat or right. planting, right? I mean, food was much more important than gathering herbs in those days. Right. You know, that was the priority. Okay, okay. So then so, so then, then then a person had to be really experienced with knowing how a using their senses to learn about the plants that go around them so yeah. they might get an inkling, oh, I think this will help me with the whooping cough because this has a similar action to this sweet gum. Right. Or here's the signature on this plant. You know, when my grandmother went to see people, she didn't take a bag of herbs with her because uh, she didn't have one. She would, you know, um, she kept a few, she had a few dried herbs that that she had up, and um, other than that, she had to uh, make use of what was available in people's yards. Wow! And that's what she did. That's like a whole other level of it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it you know, but that's just the reality there in that time. Mm-hmm. So even though. You know, I grew up in, you know, a, a better time period um, from the poverty that the area existed. Um, we're a little more affluent area by the time I grew up. It wasn't a whole lot different. <laughs> and that's what she still taught me because that's what she knew. Um, so when she would go see somebody um, and she, she would go there and she would make her assessment and then she would go out in the yard and say, well, What's growing here that we can use? What's here that's available? Which, you know, you know, one of the concepts of simpling is that the herb you need is growing outside your door, mm-hmm. and you don't have to go look for it. or it, It's not coming from across the ocean. It's right out back in your backyard or maybe in the field next to your house, but you don't have to wander far for it. Right, right. You know, it's interesting when you say about the ginseng being the king of the plants around here and I and and, and, and I um where where I live here in the northwest, uh the um from what I know from native people who have told me around here, um, that plant will be devil's club, which is a type of ginseng as well. Cool. So so uh it was called the uh most sacred power, I think, and it was often the the shamanic plant and, and now you can see how uh, Someone who was called to be a herb doctor, right, would maybe right. Have, work with Devil's Club from a young age and use it so many ways that it would have that special connection. Right, because then you would know every single thing it would do, and you would know every single thing you could use it for. And so the shot, like the shaman, is, shamans and all those kinds of folks are the people that would, you know, the healers of a of a of a, of a tribe or a group of of Native Americans, first people. They, you know, they would, it seems like they would just, uh, it was nothing really supernatural. It was just like the more you use your senses, the more peaked they get and the more gateways and doorways open up in within your exactly. mind. Exactly, exactly. So, and it's using all your senses. Uh, it's like, you know, being Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. He was just so good at observation that he almost appeared psychic mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and amazing. But it was really just being super... Uh, observation and great deduction skills. Right, right. And right, same thing. When you're working with students, do you uh, really stress that? Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I pretty much teach what I was taught. I've just formalized it and mm-hmm. written it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still pretty much the same thing. Okay. 
And yeah. I was reading on your website how you um, spent time or was mentored by, uh, it's it's Tommy Bass, right? That's how you Tommy Bass. Yeah, and, and I, I saw some things about him a long time ago online. Maybe someone had a little video or something. I just thought he was so fascinating. What, what, what did you take away working with him? What was that like? Well, he was, a, he was a lot different from my earlier training with my grandparents because he was not Native American. Mm-hmm. He was of um, English descent mm-hmm. and, and uh, lived on um, a mountain close to Center, Alabama, up on Sand Rock Mountain. Mm-hmm. And um, Tommy was taught by the African-American midwife in the community. Oh. So, which, and he started, I think, when he was five. Wow. And, and her name was Aunt, Aunt, oh boy, my southern accent was coming out there. I started to say Aunt. <laughs> her name was <laughs> Aunt Molly Kirby. And um, she was um, the African-American midwife for the community for, for black and white folks. And Tommy was five years old, and Aunt Molly had gotten, she was probably in her 80s at that time period, um, late 70s anyway. She was getting on up there, and she was having trouble going out and digging the plants. Uh, she just physically couldn't walk up and down the, the mountains anymore. And Tommy lived about um, an hour northeast of me, and this is, if you went there, you've and w- began walking through the wee- woods, and you had been to Asheville, it wouldn't look any different. I mean, it's truly kind of like the Appalachians here. And uh, so she had trouble walking up and down uh, the mountainside, so she hired Tommy when he was five to go out and start um, to dig the plants. And she taught him what they looked like and what they were, and then she'd see people and then send him out, and that's how he got started. And so he worked for her, I don't know, until she died. Wow. And then he just, and then by the time, oh, he was 10 or 11, he was digging and selling. He was making his uh, living from uh, digging plants and selling them to um, herb companies. Uh, now, in Alabama at that time, you didn't sell it to the herb company necessarily. You might have sold it to a fur trapper. Because in Alabama, fur trappers were the people who had license to buy and sell things from the wild. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get right? it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it could be furs, rocks, metal, herbs. And as a matter of fact, when my grand- when we dug for my grandparents, we We're having a little techie difficulty right there. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Can I was wondering if maybe you could, um, let's see... Uh, uh, just back up, um, like maybe about ten seconds on that. Um, about what you were talking about, it just kind of disappeared. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, I was talking about um, how you know, in the state of Alabama, when I was a young person, and when Tommy was a young person, um, we could sell straight to the mm-hmm. herb companies, mm-hmm. but we could also sell to fur trappers. He were the who were the middlemen between. Um, herb gatherers and wild crafters and herb companies. So they would buy it for a certain price and then sell it on to the herb companies. So by the time Tommy was like, I don't know, 10 or 11, maybe 12, he had a a big business gathering plants from the wild and trapping animals, and he would sell furs, and he sold plants. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. Okay, and that's how he made his living. And then when he got a and and then in the and then in the spring and the fall, spring he chopped cotton, and in the fall he picked cotton. As when I was growing up, that's what we did too. So that's between wild crafting and chopping cotton or picking cotton. That's just how you made your living. That's where you got your cash money. Mm-hmm. So um, Tommy then started. I guess when he was in his. 20s, he started actually seeing people. He combined, because his mother had been an herbalist in England, because he was of English descent, and he was like, his parents actually still had English accents. Um, but his, his mother had been taught some herbalism in England, 
And uh, so then he learned the local appellation from Aunt Molly Kirby, and so he kind of combined those wow. uh, into the herbalism that he did. And so it was a little bit different from uh, studying with my grandparents. Um, Tommy was a very devout Christian, and um, he just did not get into kind of the spiritual, what we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. the spiritual aspects of herbs, but he certainly believed in the Bible aspects of herbs and could quote you three or four or ten different Bible verses on why herbs, huh. why God said we should use herbs. And uh, so that was, it was just a little bit different contrast, mm-hmm. but a lot of the, uh, the herb uses were kind of the same. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, you know, Tommy would say is that, you know, the Bible says that we're made of the clay of the earth. And you go, yeah. And he says, so to get your healing, you have to dig the plants whose roots go into the clay of the earth. Because without the minerals from the clay, we don't heal. Hmm. That's what we're missing. So there's this whole other aspect, and this is the other aspect of Southern Appalachian folk medicine, is that um, you do have to go to the clay of the earth. And the plants that go to the clay of the earth, um, and the clay is just that deep soil, you know, it's not your top soil, it's that deep soil, are the plants with tap roots or trees. Mm-hmm. Right? So these plants were really important to him and, and to Aunt Molly, too. And because of this, you know, there, there is the... Um, um, African-American system of hoodoo, that's mm-hmm. H-O-O-D-O-O, mm-hmm. which is based, which is also called root doctoring. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, and that's why it's called root doctoring. It's because you have to use the plants with the roots. I see. You see? Now, that doesn't mean you can't use something like cleavers or chickweed or, or shepherd's purse. Because those plants can be useful, too. But when you need a real serious deep healing, you've got to use a plant with deep roots because we're just like a tree. Mm-hmm. And we, we need nourishment outside ourselves just like a tree does. Right, right. Right. And so, um, you know, in the, um, the springtime, just like a tree, our blood rises just like the sap rises, our blood rises. Right. And in the wintertime, starting in the fall, just like a tree, our blood starts falling, just like the sap falls. But what happens is our blood pulls into the core of our body. Mm-hmm. And um, because, because it's got to protect our vital organs from the cold. So it pulls in. Right. Right, exactly. And in the spring, it diffuses out, just like the the, tr- tr- the sap in the tree does, because and it mo- the blood moves into our peripheral then, because it's got to cool us off, and that's how our blood cools us off. Right, right. You know, it's funny you, you say that. I, I was uh, acu- I'm an acupuncturist, and someone was asking me what they can do for their health or whatever, and I even told them, I said, well, just look at the trees. Because right now, what are what are the trees doing? They're they're rooting, or going within, and they're they're letting go of their leaves. So it's a good time to let clean out stuff and let go of things and exactly. take care of grievances with people and cut all the you know clean out the year and go within. And that's what you can do. But if you're ever curious on what to do, just look at the tree. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's exactly. And that is just like, that's exactly what Southern Appalachian folk medicine is. Oh. You know, especially what Tommy taught, because Tommy taught everything around the tree, which may be somewhat African, but I think it's probably more English. Mm. That would be my guess. Well, what you're, seems like you're saying is like the similarities of the world traditions of herbalism because you lived in you grew up and live in this melting pot of cultures you had the european you had european you had europe africa 
and uh and Native, Native America. America and and the folks who blended all that together in that big melting pot of uh or should I say big uh, decoction? <laughs> right, big decoction. Yeah, it's a big formula. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. Have you, have you found that as you're um, going out and you do consulting, and I said earlier to folks that you do some consulting in the, you know, maybe teach at medical schools or consult physicians. And how, has, how has that been for you uh, uh, for, for bridging the gap between um, folk medicine and, and speaking to the modern medical system? Well, one of the things that I point out to my students is that when my grandmother taught me and when Tommy taught me, uh, it was easy to be an herbalist because people did not take medications during that time period. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, it was pre-pharmacy days. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody, If somebody took medicine, it was very short-term. And it was for an acute situation, and then they didn't take it anymore. Nobody took blood pressure medicine. That was like, number one, nobody had health insurance. And number two, Big Farm hadn't really kind of like clicked into the culture yet. Um, and number three, nobody could afford it. Mm. Um, so my, the, my teachers never had to worry about the interaction of drugs and herbs. Mm-hmm. wasn't even on their radar. didn't exist yet. So, you know, one of the things that I have to look to and worry, you know, and, and teach about and take into account in my consultation is that people may be on three or four different medications and no sign of getting off of them. Yeah. Right? Right. And so we do have to be, as herbalists, have to be conscious of that. And I... Uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time studying it. It's one of the things that I've taught at medical schools and, and to nurses is, you know, and by far and large, herbs are quite safe and there are very few interactions. But occasionally there are and we just need to be conscious of those mm-hmm. and know what to what the potential is. I mean, you don't want to mix, you know, a diuretic herbal formula with someone who's taking Lasix. Just, just for example, is is an average, uh, unless there is some dire need to, for that, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's um, it's just something we have to be cautious of. So that's kind of where I, br- I have bridged, mm-hmm. um, and um, it's not been hard to do. I mean, I truly love the herbs, and I'm comfortable with what I know about them, and I'm confident of what I know about them. And I don't know everything there is to know about prescription medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and and that being said, um, nine times out of ten, I don't even think about herb drug interactions mm-hmm. as being something likely to happen. But that it's that one out of ten that we have to be conscious of. Mm-hmm. And I worry more about the drugs interfering with what I want the herbs to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Yeah, I have that experience, too, with the effect of acupuncture, too. Exactly. Like, if they're on some really strong, strong thing or pain thing, it's nothing works. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, well, you got to get you off that first. <laughs> you know, like the morphine. Or now we're what I'm talking, like, uh, like the, oh, the... Um, you know, like the really strong narcotic types of of, of painkillers and stuff like that. So yeah. So um, you know, I really liked on your website when you uh, when you, you say that uh, Phyllis believes in preventative health practices and in, include the maintenance of healthy weight, a diet high in fruits, vegetables, and lean uh, organic meats, regular exercise, stress reduction, use of botanical compounds, clean water, adequate sleep, refraining from excessive drinking, and never smoking. I mean. You know, and, and, and that says it. And also, you know, I love that, you know, you even stay here believing that our health is tied to the health of the planet because, gosh, I always seems that way too. The more we, you know, destroy the, the planet, the sicker we all get as a culture. And it seems no matter how, how, how much sleep we get or don't smoke or whatever, if, you know, it's like uh, we're all... I know. It's, that's the, the sad part is not rea- realizing that we're all, you know, I mean, it's empowering, but at the same time, it's it's frightening. 
to know that all this stuff is, you know, you, you can't be out there going, well, I take care of myself and therefore I'm immune from all your other people's sicknesses. <laughs> no, I mean, you absolutely can't. I mean, there's so much about our, our health that are out of our control these days. Yeah. Um, totally out of our control. You know, when, even when I was growing up or when my grandparents were teaching me, so much more of our health was under our control. Mm-hmm. We, we truly did during those days. If you ate well and healthily and you got enough sleep and you didn't have a lot of stress, which totally different stress time period. As a matter of fact, my grandmother didn't, the word she used, because stress had not become a big word yet, in the culture, she called it worryation. Wow, worryation, I like that. Worryation. She'd say, so-and-so has got worryation. we got to help them with their worryation. And it's what it was. You just worried yourself to death. And, but it was generally not job-related. It was more personal relationship-related. Mm. So that's, that's a big difference now. Right. You know, nowadays, people's Stress tends to come from their position in society or what's going on at work. And then maybe personal relationships then become an issue. So, you know, a lot has changed about, you know, how we interact with society, too. So there's, and then there's herbicides, pesticides, bad water, bad air. There's just too much out of our control these days. Exactly. And And then too much we've given control over, too. Right. You know. Right. So it's like you just do the best you can, I guess, and that's why your statement there about what you believe for preventative health is, is, a, is a must and, and, uh, and um, you know, seems pretty simple, you know, in a way. It, it, does, it does in a way. To, to people but, like you and I who take care of themselves, but to people who don't, I guess it doesn't. <laughs> oh, I just think about how many people don't know how to cook anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. That's true. I mean, and how can you be healthy if you don't cook what you eat? Right, right, exactly. Well, that's a, that's a good point, like, because otherwise how would you use all the local plants and eat locally if you don't cook it? <laughs> if you don't cook it, but there is just a huge number of people in our society who don't know how to cook. I mean, I, I think we're kind of fortunate in, in that some of the, the circles we were both connected with, people are cooking or they know how to cook or they're learning how to cook but the majority of americans don't know how to cook i've actually asked um you know i used to ask my clients um how often do you eat at home you know uh, in one week how often do you eat at home and what i meant was how often do you cook at home right right. you know but what i was what i was getting back was oh we eat at home every night but my question should have been, how often do you cook at home? Because they were counting, going through the drive-through window and picking up food and bringing it home and eating it at home is eating at home. Or, or microwaving frozen meals. Um, <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So um, what I want to get is, since we're getting on the topic of some different health stuff and people's health, is that people did uh, email some good questions in here to you. So, okay. So let's see what we got here. Um Let's see. There's so many, and uh, well, um, yeah, we'll just uh, get to. There's there's a bunch here. We maybe can just briefly answer what you know from each one. Uh, Brenda here. Um, she's just learning how to um, learning how to do tinctures and things with herbs, and she's fascinated with how many vitamins and minerals are in herbs and how healthy they can be for us. She goes, maybe it's a silly question. There's no silly questions. But I'm wondering if there would be any benefit in creating a vitamin mineral program using herbs in a tincture that is tailored to my needs. Can this be done? Well, I know that there are some herb companies who, which do make um, some good um, vitamin mineral or nutritional type tinctures. Mm-hmm. In southern folk medicine, we really don't tincture um, everything has been was teas. Mm-hmm. So if I if I come from my tradition, we're just going to leave out the tincture part. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming from my tradition, um, you could make a nice herbal blend, nutritive blend as a tea. And up in the Northeast, they use the cold infusion method, which is useful um, for a tea if you want to conserve and save your your heat-soluble vitamins and mineral vitamins. Mm-hmm. 
um, so like your C and some of your Bs, then you can do a cold infusion, which is leave it for like, I think, 12 hours over overnight. If you're looking for the minerals out of an herbal tea, you really need to simmer it up for a few minutes because the agitation of the plant material releases more of the minerals. Mm-hmm. So you'll get a stronger mix if you decoct that rather than infuse it. So um, I really do like nutritive teas. Uh, but I'll lean more toward, if you're eating fairly healthy, what we tend to miss more than the vitamins is the minerals. Most people don't get enough minerals. We really do need that, the minerals from the clay and the earth. Um, Some of our vitamins we make from our food, like some of our B vitamins, and if we have enough amino acids going in, we're going to make those. So we need C and we need... E and A and D. We need we need vitamin C in our fat soluble vitamins, uh, in our, from our food, and then we have to have our minerals because we can't make any of those at all. Those all have to come out from outside our body. Just like that tree puts its roots down, it's got to have all the minerals and the water from the earth, and that's exactly what we need. So I'm a big believer in uh, decocting herbal teas for mineral. Mm-hmm. Okay, like uh, oat straw or nettles, that sort of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, cleavers, chickweed, um, horsetail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Yeah, good one. one. Yeah. So, Brenda, you can look on uh, Herb Mentor, too, under the um, um, <clears throat> Nourishing Herbal Infusion area, and there's a lot there to come up with a regimen of what might work for you. Um, let's see. We have um, – oh, here's a quick qu- question. Uh, Amanda was uh, was on an herb walk with you at Thai Sophia. And uh, you mentioned Queen Anne's Lace um, as a benefit to the thyroid, and and she wanted a little more on that or what you knew about that. Okay. Well, that is a Tommy Bass remedy for low thyroid. Mm -hmm. And um, here in the southern Appalachians, we are far from the ocean. Mm -hmm. And so um, fish is not our primary source. Our kelp is not our primary source of iodine. What we do have here in the southern Appalachians are um, salt mines, which, because this whole area used to be under the ocean, Mm. uh, as a matter of fact, there's a cave not too far from my house with a shark's tooth in the roof of it. Um, So we do have some salt mines and caves here, uh, and this is what Native Americans in the area use. Dig some of that salt for the iodine. But when you can't get that, um, or when you you don't have good access to um, the good quality salt. You can also use black walnut and make a black walnut. highly suggest this one in capsules because it just tastes so bad. Um, black walnut and um, chickweed and Queen Anne's lace together is a well-rounded um, protocol for low thyroid. Mm. And black walnut has iodine. Um, the chickweed has your other minerals that your thyroid needs, like the selenium and the manganese and the zinc, and um, trace minerals, and then either good quality salt, and then Queen Anne's lace added the hormonal activity that kind of helped get you over the hump, because Queen Anne's lace is really hormonally active. Now, I, I think it's Robin Rose Bennett has done uh, quite a bit of study on using Queen Anne's lace as birth control, not because it's hormonally active, if I'm remembering our discussions uh, correctly, but because it's a uterine irritant. But here in the South, we use Queen Anne's lace because it's considered hormonally active. Not as hormonally active as a black cohosh or false unicorn would be. Um, and false unicorns and black cohosh are probably the two most hormonally active plants I can think of, blue cohosh maybe. But then we come back to Queen Anne's lace. It was quick and easy together. We get two crops a year. It dries up really easy. You use anything above the ground. Um, and it doesn't have to go to seed. It just has to be flowering. Uh, and it has a progesterone-type activity, and um, which supports the thyroid. So the combination of Queen Anne's lace, black, co- uh, black walnut, and chickweed is just a really good thyroid combination. And I've used it over and over and over over the years with really good success. And I think it's especially helpful 
against kind of more the autoimmune mm-hmm. um, thyroid disorders, but it would worked well with goiter because goiter was you know what my grandmother had to deal with because there were a lot of women. First baby, you were okay. Second baby, you got a goiter. Hmm. Uh, just pretty common. Um, just because of, of lack of iodine and an overstressed thyroid from having babies too close together. Wow. Yeah. That is, uh, that's, huh. So that's, um, so, and then, and then I'm imagining we're talking about, like you said, we're involving minerals here, so we're probably decocting and a tea. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that's because I'm sure people's heads are going. Wait, how do you take it? <laughs> it is. It is a tea decoction, yeah. and um, depending on what you want, you see the oil in Queen Anne's lace is not an essential oil. It's really heavy. So if you boil it, it doesn't go away. Um, so you can simmer that, and it's very delicate. The flowers are very delicate, but simmer it up for about ten minutes. You will be amazed at what strong medicine you get out of that. Wow! I've had it up in the Northeast where they like infuse it for several hours just in warm water uh, or cold water. But it's just cooking it, you know, decocting it in the uh, Native American fashion is you just get really, really, really strong medicine out of it. It's totally different. I was I, if hmm, I use dry chickweed and dry cleavers, which a lot of herbalists don't use because they'll go, well, there's not any good medicine left in that. But that's what I was taught to use, and I dry that chickweed up and um, dry the cleavers up, and then when I go to use it, I'll boil it, I'll simmer it at a high simmer for 20 minutes. You will be amazed what strong medicine is still in there. Wow. Um, yeah, it's really. Well, it makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, it's, the, it's just the water that evaporates. Exactly. <laughs> Everything else should still be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Technically, that's really interesting. Um, that's you know uh, that that's great, and and that leads into um, Heather from Tennessee, which is not too far from Alabama, right? I mean, the cl- no, no, I'm just a couple of hours from Tennessee. Close, closer than Washington. <laughs> yeah, a lot closer than Washington. <laughs> so um, she's interested in hearing about your approach for female issues, such as she has in quotes, such as endometriosis, infertility, excessive pain and blood loss, monthly anemia. Gosh, that's a lot. Uh, she understands it's a big topic. Yes. <laughs> she says, she says <laughs> I understand it's a big topic, but if you could just touch on it, she would be grateful. Um, and well, uh, she's okay. heard you speak before and she loves your perspective. Just letting you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, kind of a, a quick, you know, uh, female reproductive orders, we can put them in really two broad, these are very broad categories. One of them is structurally uh, structural categories or you know functional categories um, based on structure of is there fibroids, is there polyps, is everything working the way it's supposed to be working? And the other is going to be hormonally, mm-hmm. which is the endocrine. What is the what's happening in the endocrine system? And I really look at a woman's monthly cycle as the barometer of what is going on in the endocrine system. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a system, if there's something off in the pancreas, it's going to show up in the whole system, including the reproductive system. If something's off in the thyroid, it's going to show up in the whole system. Um, so we have to we have to look at those two different things. Now, um, and because all the tissues in the reproductive system uh, respond to the hormones, we can't discount the hormones even in structural problems because mm-hmm. still that those tissues are still hormonally active. So. So if a person has endometriosis or infertility, gosh, is it infertility because of hormone deficiency? Is it infertility because of structural abnormalities? Is it indeficiency um, because of, of problems in the endocrine system? Is it infertility because somebody is totally stressed out? You know, it's amazing what stress will do to the reproductive system exactly and and fertility levels so there's no easy short answer on all this mm-hmm. we have to look at constitutions we have to to you know i go in and say i you know i'll spend just an hour asking questions when somebody has infertility because there are so many different influences if someone is adrenally deficient or has adrenal exhaustion there's going to be problems in the reproductive system. Mm-hmm. Remember, it is a system. Mm-hmm. It's the endocrine system, and they're all connected, and they all work off a feedback loop, and one hormonal 
uh, one level of hormones, let me see how to say this, hormonal levels from one endocrine gland affect the hormonal output of the other glands. Of course. Right. So a problem in the reproductive system, it may be a problem in the reproductive system, but it could be a problem in the adrenal system and with the adrenal feedback. Or, the, you know, see what I'm saying? So and unless we look at the individual, we don't really know. There's not one herb I can tell you for infertility. Mm-hmm. We just have to look at everybody totally uniquely separate, constitutionally on that. Um, excessive pain and blood loss monthly. Um, you know, I'm going to ask questions about fibroids. Are, I'm going to ask questions about ovarian cysts mm-hmm. at that point. And then they're going to be involved questions to try to suss out what's going on. Anemia, oh, of course, if you've got excessive blood loss monthly, uh, you're going to have anemia. Right. Right. right? You have so bloody, you have blood issues. And, and right. Wow. Right. So anemia, you know, one thing you can do, uh, I love sumac for improving anemia, um, sumac tea made from the berries. Just boil it up. Um, sweeten it if you want. Don't sweeten it. It tastes fine by itself. That's really good. And, of course, the yellow dock and nettles and some of the minerally dense herbs can be very good there. But I want to know why is there excessive blood loss monthly, and I don't know that unless I can ask questions. So... You know, I, I, I get, you know, um, we have a lot of new folks who come in on, on this site, and a lot of folks are new to learning about herbs and using them in their life. And uh, it often starts with that, when people come in on a forum and ask some advice, and, um, you know, because they're new at it, not sure. I'd be like, well, what tea, what tea can I take for, you know, X? It could be for, like, you know, some big condition. And I like what you said, and I, I wanted to ask you that question, because I... I if I have to keep stressing the point over and over again, I, I, I will, and I'm sure I will in the years to come, which is that somebody has to get to know you, right? I mean, like, uh, right. I, you know, the, the herb doctor <laughs> or the, the herbalist, the herbologist, you know, needs to come over and uh, whoever it is you're seeing has to has to see you as an individual and, and there's it's more to the picture, you know. and, and uh, Right, right. You have to have somebody you're working with. So, I mean, how do you find that you work with people locally, I'm sure, come to you? Uh Uh-huh. Do you work with people long distance, too? I do. I definitely, I do. Well, we can do telephone really easy. So people can get in touch with you on your website at phyllisdlight.com. They can email me or call me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Phone number is on there, and then we can set up an appointment time. And I'll be glad to work with anybody. Because that's it. Because, like, you know, there's a questioning that you're talking about. And there's another question here, too, that has, you know, that was kind of a, um, well, was asked to us. This um, uh, member says, two of her five children have autism and love her touch on the subject of healing a damaged neurological system and gut, what herb to use and why. And um, and she's beginning, she's starting out. And, and that's, once again, like, it's a little more, right? It's a little more to the... I mean, you might have an idea, but at the same time, you probably would need to speak with this person and ask some more questions. I would, but you know, I I could say some general things okay. about that. Great, great. Um, I for if you haven't investigated already, ready, I would suggest you get on the um, internet and look up the specific carbohydrate diet, which is called the SCD diet. Mm-hmm. It's been around for about. I don't know how many years, quite a number of kind of clinical studies supporting its use in autism and healing the gut. And they've had some really good successes using that diet. So I recommend that diet for at least, it takes three to six months to Mm -hmm. tell a difference. But I've had more success with that diet than not that diet. Um, And along with that, you know, essential fatty acids are going to be really important in this situation. Find out if there's any um, food sensitivities uh, going along with that. And the SCD diet will help you do that. It will help you to find out if there's any food sensitivities. And it will help heal the gut. I use the same diet for gut issues too. And, again, it's you have to look at it, even though it's down there in black and white or blue and white, it's on the computer, uh, <laughs> Keep in mind that there's some, indiv- 
your your child or you are individuals and every single thing on the diet may not apply to you. Some of it still might be too much for you or not enough and you still and it says that on the diet you don't take this as 100% accurate for every single person. You still have to play with it a little bit and find out what works for you or your child mm-hmm. in that process. And I would say that about any any diet, no matter what you're using. Um, uh, so those are kind of some general things that I recommend in, in those, this kind of specific situation of autism, neurological disorders in the gut. But then... I, you know, I'm, I might recommend some herbs or I would recommend some herbs, but the herbs then becomes more of on the individual, let me ask you some questions and let's get at what's really going on. And, you know, I just need more indicators than that. Okay. Yeah. Um, before we got, can I ask, before I ask you about, you know, some of your programs and things and people can get in touch and that sort of thing, um, one one last question, which kind of is an amalgam of some various questions and Maybe you can purchase how you want, but uh, folks always like to know. Um, and you, I probably answered a lot of it earlier, but was you know some of your couple of your your, your favorite herbs, and obviously one of those is is ginseng. So maybe a couple of herbs, and maybe a, one of your favorite preparations or way you use them, whether it's ginseng or one or two others. Okay, um, you know ginseng is my ally herb, but my favorite herb kind of comes and goes with, with different seasons. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and different stages of life. Um, but right now, I'm really liking mullein and skullcap, and there's not a lot I haven't been able to do with mullein and skullcap together. And I'll tweak it around and add other things to it, depending on what I want to do. If I... I'm using it for a digestive complaints. Um, I might add some um, spearmint or a peppermint and a little chickweed to it. If I want to use it for lymphatics, then I might add some cleavers um, on chickweed or red root um, or some you know, lymphatic herbs to it. But right now, my, my favorite base combination is mullein and skullcap, and it's just pretty amazing together. So I kind of encourage folks to give that an opportunity. Um, play with that a little bit. Throw in some red raspberry leaf and mullein and skullcap and, oh, maybe a little uh, cleaver. It's got an amazing painkiller that just works so well for aches and pains. Works good for digestion, um, opens the sinuses, um, decongests the lungs, good for allergies. So it's just a great little formula I've been playing with. Is it, are you using a mullein leaves and skullcap leaves or are you using the mullein flowers yeah. or root? Or? I'm using the, the leaves, mm-hmm. a mullein leaves and a skullcap, anything above the ground. Mm-hmm. So you use a yeah. lot. You use a, you, so you, it's interesting. You use a lot of things that are above the ground, but you know you also have been mentored in, in the roots as well and in the trees. Right. Right. Well, you know, the roots are are bringing you up into that deep healing, but sometimes, you know, we just need, like I said earlier, it's not that you don't need the other or the other is not useful. It's just what's appropriate at the time. And if I'm wanting to to move decongested sinuses, I don't need a really deep action. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's true, yeah. I can see that. It's kind of like when I always equate to acupuncture, but we've got these really powerful points that I rarely ever use because it's kind of like these deep ones because most of the time these other, you know, basic ones do the job. And exactly. <laughs> so you, you don't pull out your big guns until you absolutely have to use it, yeah, right? exactly. That's it. That's it. So mullein, skullcap, well, and they grow all over. And, and that's a great because these grow all over, you know, and red raspberry that's leaf. That's right. Is, is red there. raspberry leaf and chickweed or cleavers. Mm-hmm. You can, just about anybody can find those anywhere and, they want. And skullcap is super easy to grow in a garden. Like, we're not going to find it in the wild where I live, but we're, uh, but I have it in the garden. Mull, it's even too wet for mullein to to grow in healthy places to gather where I live, so I have to grow that in the garden. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you see it in like highway strip meridians, and you know. Yeah, you know, it, it loves the highway strip meridians. But, so. uh, but out in the, you know, you have to go to the other side of the Cascade Mountains here to to find it in quantity enough off off the road to <laughs> to gather. Okay. But cleavers, we have plenty of in our moist forest. It loves growing with the nettles and the in the in the in the uh, deep moist under the maple trees so you find a big 
big stand of big leaf maples on a hillside in the springtime, and you're bound to find tons of nettles and cleavers running together. Oh, there you go. Uh, and just dry it. And dry Cleavers it. Dry. It's really good. Yeah. Easy to dry. See, I, where I live, we don't have nettles. Oh, I thought they were just everywhere. <laughs> no, they're not in the south. Wow. It's too hot and sunny here. Oh, of course. Wow. Well, I always right. thought there was a bit of moisture, though, and humidity in the air. For there is lots of moisture and humidity. Just um, not their thing. But huh? the sun, it's not, this, no. Um, so I have seen it growing, like, on the edges of creek banks under trees. Um, but it cannot handle the full sun here. Wow. You it's real yeah. And it's just like poison ivy can't handle our rain. So we have moist, but we have no poison ivy. Oh, we have that in abundance. Oh, I know you do. Big <laughs> <laughs> time. Our poison ivy here can look like shrubs and trees. I'm from New Jersey, so I remember the Jersey East Coast forests were hard enough. And then, you know. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. That's something. You know, um, we were just talking about, Phil, about people getting in touch with you or consulting. Um and what about teaching? Do you teach just locally, or can people learn long distance? Or Oh, I do a little both. Well, um, I have an herb school here in Arab, Appalachian Center for Herbal Studies, mm-hmm. and it's on my website. Um, and uh, I have a uh, three-year program, which mm-hmm. is broken down into, you know, nine months. Uh, over three years, mm-hmm. and so and these are three different levels. So some people only want level one, or and some people like one and two, and some people go into three. Three is the practitioner level to take all of it. Um, we meet one weekend a month. Mm-hmm. Also do uh, intensives throughout the year. Um, my next intensive in Southern Appalachian Folk Medicine is going to be in 2011, and that's going to be February the 7th through February the 11th, Monday through Friday, for a week. Wow. And um, so I offer different things, you know, throughout the year, and just check with my website. It'll it'll be posted on there if there's something special coming up. And that's in Alabama? It's in, Al- okay. it's in Alabama. And February, February in Alabama is the iffy month. It might be really cold. Probably might be gathering chickweed too. Right. You know, we just never know. Wow. Uh, it could be 80 degrees or it could be 10 degrees. And is it real hands on? You're out there and you're showing some of the things that you learned from your mentor? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, lots of hands on stuff. And we spend a lot of times outdoors walking through the woods and looking at the plants. Uh, there's classroom time. And if anybody is interested in that, they can just give me a call. And starting in April of next year, I'm going to be doing an online course. So if anybody's okay. interested in online, yeah. they can get in touch with me, and I'll add their name to the list. Pretty much everyone listening to this is because they only found this through being online. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes, um, actually, there's a lot of people. Um, um, very common for someone to join our site. And our site's kind of neat, Herb Mentor, because you can use it as a simple, basic um, home study kind of thing, especially for beginners, and there's some, you know, um, uh, but it also is an excellent supplement and supporter of, of programs. And so all the time people are coming on and, you know, joining up, uh, oh, I heard your interview on so-and-so and I'm taking their course or heard your interview on so-and-so and taking their course. So I hope that people will go and join your course and report back and see how that w- was going. I'm sure it'd be wonderful. That's great. And make sure you get in contact with me too. Cause if you need any, you know, help, um, <laughs> wondering how to put okay. something like that together, <laughs> you give me a call. I, uh, there's some new things I've been learning when might help you out. Um, so, great. and, 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 and I mentioned earlier a book you were working on. And so when's yeah. that coming out? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I've been working on this book for years. Uh-huh. You know, happens <laughs> is like kids happen mm-hmm. and family happens and sick parents happen and it's just been hard to get it all together um and as p- people have been asking me about it for like four years now when's your book coming out <laughs> i promise y'all it's coming out next year i have just finally got most of my kids out of the house <laughs> <laughs> simply because they've grown up and gone away you know <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it's hard to be you know teacher, mother, not necessarily in that order, you know, but uh, to do all the things that that you feel called to do in your life and write a book. 
So, but I, it's coming out this year. We'll do okay. another show with you here to promote the book when it comes out. Oh, and well, thank you. Speaking of kids, um, is there a at least in recorded history, will they be? Will there be a fifth generation herbalist in your family? And your kids no. interested at all? You know, so far I have five children, mm -hmm. and uh, so far one of them, Alan, who's now eighteen, he's really liking growing the herbs. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't know if he wants to learn how to use them, and they all come in and out of the herb classes I have. Mm -hmm. Everybody can. Uh, I have one daughter who's twenty-nine, Jessica, who has worked her way through college doing consultations and working in a health food store. She's really good, but she doesn't want to be an herbalist when she grows up. Um, so <laughs> oh, <laughs> she will. She will. <laughs> she will, I know. I know. I'm waiting. You're right. <laughs> just don't. it's about 30-something, it'll hit her. Just don't you know? push it, and they'll come back to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Um, you know, my oldest son, who's 30, He's he lives in Houston, and... Um, He's really set on his career, and he doesn't see, he really uses herbs and believes in herbs, but not into studying about them. Um, but the um, then I have the 20-year-old uh, 20, 20 who, who is interested in the energetics of herbalism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And who knows what the 13-year-old is going to do. So they're yeah. all right. It's it's so so uh, the jury's out. The jury's out. I mean, they they've grown up with it. <laughs> not, so, not as intensely as I did, but they've certainly had their home exposure. Well, that's so neat that 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 home exposure is connecting them with something that their great grandparents and great great grandparents did, and how rare that is. Like I I you know I I I uh, I think I've. I think my pa my kids will have passed on maybe a couple of uh, you know chicken recipes from their grandparents, but I think that's about it. <laughs> 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 they they have two two different sides of the family. They actually have chicken re Italian chicken recipes from two different tasting recipes from two different complete sides of the family, but they they both come from their great grandparents. It brought them. So you know, Phyllis, it was that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so so fun hanging out with you today. Um, well, thank you. It was fun. And 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 everyone again, PhyllisDLight.com. And if you're listening to uh, this right on the Herb Mentor site uh, or where you downloaded this, there's a link right below this player you can click to, and it'll open up right in the new window. And um, thanks so much for spending time with us today. It was just fabulous. Oh, thank you for having me. Okay. See you again. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio, copyright LearningHerbs.com, all rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.